Let's take our Bibles this morning, please turn to the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk. Do you say Habakkuk or Habakkuk? Habakkuk, okay. It just depends what syllable you put the emphasis on, I guess. Habakkuk, verse, or chapter 3, look there with me if you will. Habakkuk chapter 3. I notice nobody's naming their children Habakkuk, so you don't really know how to pronounce it either. Habakkuk chapter 3. I'm just going to read two verses here, verse 1 and verse 2, and then we're going to look at most of the book of Habakkuk. Do you know what I like about 1030 service? Is there's no time limits. Amen? And so hold on. And uh, we, we were done right on time in the earlier service, and I don't expect we'll be too bad, although we're already 10 minutes behind where we were uh, then with the singing we did this morning. Habakkuk chapter 3, let's begin reading in verse... One, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, upon Shigionath. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of years. In the midst of years, make known in wrath, remember mercy. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we need your help today. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity, Lord, to sing your praises. And I, and I pray and I hope that it was something that was a blessing to you. Lord, we are told to bless your name. We are told to praise your name. And so I pray, Lord, that we've done that. I, uh, Lord, I don't know how a human form could ever magnify God enough. But Lord, I pray that you would just help us now to receive from your word. Lord, these are not things from our lips, but they're from the Word of God, and Lord, have so much more meaning. And so I pray the Lord you speak to us. May the Holy Spirit of God move in this place and help us and teach us today. Father, fill me. I surrender to you. And Lord, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of my message, if God would help me today, is Revive Thy Work. I'm sure that over the years that if you've been in church any length of time, you've heard somebody use that verse of scripture and take that phrase, revive thy work and preach a message on revival. We get an idea of what revival is in our heart and we, we get excited about the thoughts of revival. We plan revival meetings and we have special preachers and things in to have these meetings and we, we expect God to do something special. I don't believe there's anything wrong with that. We can't always plan revival, but we, somebody said this, you can set your, your sails to catch the wind of revival. So we prepare our hearts and we ask God to do something special in our midst. About five years ago, we had the faithmen come. They've tried to come every year. And uh, Brother Calvin Allen would preach and the men would sing together. And, and some of you folks that are newer to our church, we missed out last year, but one day they're coming again, and we're excited about having them. Great quartet men singing, if you like quartet music, and, and uh, the preaching is phenomenal, and just such a blessing. And I remember coming home, and on a Monday night, and after the service, I'd gone out with the fellas for a coffee, and we'd gone to Tim Hortons, and I got home with my wife at about 11.30, I guess it was, and, and my son, Austin, was still awake, and it was a school night, and uh, we just 
met him there at the steps, and he had this look on his face. He says, Dad, can I, can I go to the motel and talk to Brother Allen? And I thought, you know, Brother Allen is, at the time was probably about 33 years old, and he shared a room with the piano player, Jacob Trelor, who was probably 27 or 28 at the time. And, and I thought, you know, these are young, kind of cool guys that sing and travel and preach, and I thought maybe he just wants to go hang around with them. And, but something in my heart said, you better let him go. So I said, that would be fine. My wife and I that night had to make a trip over to the doctors. And, and um, when we got back about one in the morning, Austin still wasn't home. And he pulled in the driveway just a couple minutes after us. And he said, Mom and Dad, I got saved. The next morning, we got up and we're bleary-eyed after being up so late and getting up to go to school and, and get our day started. And at that time, Mrs. Norris had been quite sick with leukemia. And Mackenzie texted Austin and said, Dad just dropped me off at school, but he's coming back to get me. And Austin panicked, said, something's wrong with Mrs. Norris. Can I go? I said, no, you let Dad be Dad. We'll find out when we get to church what's going on. We got to church, and Kevin called me and said, Mackenzie got saved. That morning, Brother Allen had moved chapel from Wednesday to Tuesday and so that he could preach chapel. And shortly after chapel was over, Noah Vart walked into my office, one of our students, and he accepted Christ. It was just 10 minutes after that, he, was just, he just left my office. The other guys were arriving. Uh, they hadn't come in yet. They were just getting back. And we were going to go have some lunch out at the village. Uh, Flo and Natasha invited us out to have some pizza. And so we were about to go out there. And just then, Chris Weens walked in my office. He said, I need to talk to you. He, he was very straight and matter of fact. He was only about nine or 10 years old at the time. And I need to talk to you. And I said, what's going on, Chris? He said, well, I just finished my math. And he misunderstood my question, I guess. And then I misunderstood him. I thought, I'm the principal. He was having problems with math. <laughs> and he said, I need to talk to you. And he, says, and he said, but that's not what I came to talk about. And he turned to Brother Allen and he said, I need to get saved. And he got saved. It wasn't just a few minutes after that that we were getting our coats on and we were heading out for some lunch. And Mrs. Fett yelled down the hall, Bella just got saved. That afternoon, Austin said, Dad, tonight we're singing Song of Grace. He said, we're opening the service. And he says, I have the solo. He says, can I say something first? I said, say something after. I said, it's pretty hard to sing when you get all choked up. He said, no, no, I, I, need, I need to do this first. And I know he's my son. But heaven opened up. And for 10 minutes, man, did he preach. My wife and I were sitting because we wanted to hear the music, and people started moving, leaving the auditorium, coming to see me in the middle of the service. Just an incredible moving of the Spirit of God. People, we went out in the hallway, Wanda Brown got saved that night. Drew walked up on the platform and gave a testimony for about 10 minutes of what God was doing in his heart, Natasha's son. I never heard the preaching that night because I was so busy cleaning out the baptistry rooms 
due to lack of faith. We had to clean them. We used them as storage a lot of times. Cleaning them out, getting them ready. We ended up baptizing seven that night. We walked out in the hallway, and I jokingly say it was like Jonestown out there. People were sitting in couples praying together, weeping together, making things right with one another. I walked in my office, and Amanda Baker was in there with, uh, with Callie, and Callie got saved that night. My daughter, Bethany, I found out in the middle of the service, Amanda took Bethany home to get clothes to change into so she could be baptized. Amanda said, I made a profession of faith as a child, but I didn't really get saved until I was at camp as a teenager. And she said, I've never been properly baptized. So she came and got baptized too. God just moved. Seven were baptized that night. Seven were baptized the following Sunday. And 32 were baptized over an eight-week period. And to my knowledge, I believe all but one are still in the church. As I was baptizing that night, I stuck my head out of the men's baptistry and I looked down the hall and we had a lady waiting outside the ladies' baptistry and I wanted to know if the ladies were ready to go and I was, are you guys ready? And when I popped the door open, Kyle Norton was, Will's boy, was standing outside weeping. I need to get saved. I led him to the Lord in chest waders and a baptistry gown. That Michelin man thing I wear, you know that big white outfit? Led him to the Lord in the hallway. And he says, now I need to get baptized. I said, well, I, I haven't got time to. I said, i got to go in there right now. They're waiting on me, holding the service. I said, I, maybe next week I'll talk to you about it. He said, no, I know what baptism is. I was there when my dad got discipled about baptism. He says, it's a profession of your faith. It does not save you. It's a picture of. And he went right through real quick. And he says, I need to do it now. We didn't have any more gowns. So Cindy found a pair of shorts and a T-shirt that we had for gym class. And that's what he got baptized in. Natasha got saved the next day, called and said, I'm driving, I, can't, I just can't seem to get to work. I just drove right by, I got to come talk to someone. She got saved. We baptized her a couple weeks later and the water was cold. The heater broke. I got scars because she grabbed my hand when we went <laughs> and she cut me open. It, it was, I told her, it's cold, I got to do it. It, it, was, it was something that we had longed for. We had prayed for. Somebody said to me after, you know, that really wasn't revival. And they took me back to a time, I guess, when Monroe Parker had preached here back in the 80s, and church had been dismissed and nobody moved. And Pastor Strachan stuck his head back in and said, I guess we're not done yet. And the preacher came back and preached some more, and I guess it was a great moving that night. I was pretty little. I don't remember much about it. But the problem is this. Revival rarely looks the same. Notice that phrase up on the screen with me. When Habakkuk prayed for revival, he said, God, revive thy work. He did not say, revive what I think should happen. I think Habakkuk's idea of revival is likely the same as yours and mine, where God's Holy Spirit rips through a place and breathes upon each person, and folks begin to get stirred up and get right with God and right with other believers, and, and folks begin to get saved, and God begins to ignite the hearts of his people, and we have more tears in our eyes and warmer altars, and we have this idea that's what revival is, and I would suggest to you that's the climax of revival. Revival. 
That's the fruits of revival. The book of Habakkuk is going to show us this morning, revival is sometimes something very, very different. Before God gets us to that place where people are broken and people are ready to be saved and people are on fire for God, there's often a lot of judgment and trials we go through first. In Psalms chapter 85 and verse 6, the author wrote, Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? But if you were to read the first five verses of that chapter, you will find out that God had been judging Israel. He thanks them in verse 4 for, his, for their forgiveness. Thank you, God, for forgiving us of our sins. In verse 5, he says, please turn away your fierce anger. It had been a time of great judgment, and now he is saying, revive us that we might rejoice in thee, that our relationship might be right with you, that we can commune with you, that we can fellowship with you. Isaiah tells us in chapter 57 about who God revives. He says here in verse 15, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and the holy place, and with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. Listen to this. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. The word humble there, I looked at it, is a present participle tense, which literally means this, that God is saying, I, I revive the ones of whom I have humbled. Those who have come through great fires. Those who have come through great tragedies. Those who know persecution and tribulation. And then he says, I have revived the heart of the contrite ones. Contrition is to be acutely aware of one's own sin. When we're brokenhearted over our sins. I want to suggest to you today that when the word revive is used in this context that Habakkuk uses it. And it's used very infrequently in the word of God. It always follows a period of God's judgment. You'll see what I'm getting at in a few moments. Look at Habakkuk, if you would, and I want to demonstrate that to you today. Look at chapter 1. Habakkuk chapter 1. And in verses 1 through 4, we see Habakkuk's complaint. He complains to God about the situation of the people of Israel. He says, the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. Habakkuk was burdened for the people of Israel. He looked around him and he saw that they were falling further into sin and farther away from God. I think we could say Canada's kind of right there, can't we? I think we're at a point where we call evil good and good evil in our society. And, and, and he echoes those sentiments here in verse 2. He says, O Lord, how long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity, and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are that raise up strife and contention. He's saying, all around me, all I see is violence and strife and contention and spoiling and wickedness. It's all around me. Verse 4, Israel had slid so far. Here's where they came to. Therefore, the law is slacked. So what does that mean? 
Things that were once against law, now we don't even worry about that anymore. We're, we're just going to adjust the law to accommodate what we want to do. Every man's going to do that which is right in his own sight. He said the law is slack. It has no power anymore. He says, secondly, and judgment doth never go forth. Nobody's enforcing what laws we do have. The nation is an absolute mess. I think if I were to take a survey right now and say how many of you would have thought 30, 40 years ago some of the things going on in Canada that are considered legal, we would have never even thought about it. I said to my wife a long time ago, I said, you know, it's interesting. The things that they'll talk about today and everybody says is absolutely crazy, in 10 years it'll be law. That's just the degradation of society. And we see it over and over and over again, repeated over and over. And that's, that's where we are as a society. And, and Habakkuk is complaining about the state of Israel. And he says, for the wicked doth compass about the righteous. We're outnumbered. Therefore, wrong judgment proceedeth. There's no moral absolutes anymore. Who are you to tell me that I'm doing wrong? That's the day that Habakkuk lived in. Notice God's response. Verse 5, he says, Behold ye among the heathen, and regard and wonder marvelously. For I will work a work in your days which ye will not believe, though it be told you. Notice what is going on with Habakkuk in the first four verses. I, I believe he goes into his prayer closet as a habitual uh, uh, habit in his life. And, he, and he's in that prayer closet and he's crying unto the Lord and he's pleading with God. And he's telling God, this nation is falling apart. Everywhere I look is wickedness and, and torment and strife and contention. And God, when will you do something? And one day God reaches into that prayer closet. He says, oh, Habakkuk. I'm about to do something that you'll not even believe even if I told you. It's going to be wondrous. It's going to be marvelous. And I can see Habakkuk getting excited. And this is what we've been praying. This is revival. This is wonderful. The people of Israel, we're going to restore the feasts. We're going to go back to the temple and we're going to worship again. God's people are going to become a people of prayer again. They're going to be excited and glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And Habakkuk is probably thinking at this moment, national revival, people on fire for the God, people singing in the streets, people desiring to hear from the word of God, people desiring to hear from this prophet once again. And that's likely what's going through his heart. And then look what God says in the next verse. For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. Their horses also are swifter than the leopards and are more fierce than the evening wolves. And their horsemen shall spread themselves, and their horsemen shall fly, come from far. They shall fly as the eagle that hasteth to eat. They shall come all for violence. Their faces shall sup up as the east wind, and they shall gather the captivity as the sand. And they shall scoff at the kings, and the princes shall be a scorn unto them. They shall deride every stronghold, for they shall heap dust and take it. Then shall his mind change, and he shall pass over and offend Look at this, imputing his own power unto his God. I don't think that's what Habakkuk had in mind. 
Habakkuk's thinking, boy, people are going to return to this spiritual state and it's going to be a wonderful revival. And God says, here's what's going to happen. The Chaldeans are going to come and wipe you out. The judging hand of God is going to be upon you. They're going to take your dwelling places. Their horses are faster than leopards and meaner than the evening wolves. That's what we're going to do. And he said, they're going to give credit to their gods for it all. You see, well, sometimes revival doesn't look like what we think it should look like. Judgment came first. If I could roll back five years, I would tell you this. A lot of you probably don't know or are aware, and that's fine. I don't, not, it's not something everybody needs to know. But the revival that took place five years ago, there was a lot of hardship before it. There was a lot of judgment of God upon the church. There was a lot of struggles and strife going on. And somebody even said to me, Pastor, I don't think we could have had a revival like this a year ago. God had to do some purging. He had to take out his window and separate wheat from chaff. He had to decide who is serious about the things of God. And he, once he got to that place and judged that place, and God began to move and the Spirit began to work in our midst. Habakkuk, I don't believe, was praying for that. And you say, how do you know that? Because he responds again. He says in verse 12, Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not. He's saying, God, why don't you just breathe life into us? Aren't you God? Why do we need the Chaldeans? Aren't you God? Can't you restore your people? Aren't you from everlasting to everlasting? We shall not die, O Lord. Thou hast ordained them for judgment. He's talking about the Chaldeans. They're a wicked people, almighty God. Thou hast established them for correction. Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue, when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he? He doesn't understand. Habakkuk is saying, we're not as bad as the Chaldeans. Why would you use them to judge us who are more righteous than he. Well, we, we seem to justify our sin, don't we? I'm not as bad as that guy over there. That's exactly what Habakkuk's doing. God why, God, why would you use the Chaldeans? Why would you go to these people? Why would you let them? We're more righteous than they. And then he talks about the cruelty of the Chaldeans in verse 14. And make us men as the fishes of the sea, as the creeping things that have no ruler over them. He says, they, they treat us like animals. They take up all of them with the angle. They catch them in their net and they gather them in their drag. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. And then here's how carnal they are and how wicked they are. They sacrifice, verse 16, under their net. And they burn incense under their drag because by them their portion is fat and their meat plenteous. They worship those fishing nets and those... Hooks of those angles, they call them. Verse 17, shall they therefore empty their net and not spare continually to slay the nations? God, they'll know no restraint. If they defeat Israel like that, they'll slay all the other nations as well. Once they empty their net of us, what's to stop them? God, there's no restraint. Why would you use these Chaldeans? In chapter 2, God does something he rarely does. He pulls back the curtain 
and he allows Habakkuk to see why. Well, that, that doesn't happen very often. We, we, just, we have to assure ourselves of the fact that God's ways are not our ways. We normally just assure ourselves of the fact that God is a loving God, a faithful God, that he's working all things together for good to them that are called according to his purpose, and we love him, and, and, and we just trust God. But Habakkuk begins to question God, and God says in, in, in all of his patience, he pulls back the curtain and says, all right, I'm going to show you. I'm going to tell you why this is about to happen. Now, Habakkuk already knows he put his foot in his mouth. <laughs> have you ever questioned God and know you put your foot in your mouth? Just went, oh boy, what have I done? Habakkuk knows that. Look at chapter 2 and verse 1. He says, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower, and I will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. He says, I'm just going to go up and I'm going to see what God's going to do to Israel. I'll stand in the tower but I know that I'm about to get reproved. I better think of my answer. I better know what I'm going to answer God when he reproves me. And God does. He says in verse 2, And the Lord answered me, and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tables, that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. So he says to Habakkuk, I want you to write some things down. Write them on a tablet. When we write things on tablets in the Word of God, that means it's to be lasting. This wasn't written on paper or papyrus or something that could be destroyed. He wrote his law on the tablets, and he's telling Habakkuk, I want you to write these on tablets. This is important. It's not coming to pass right today, but it will. It will. And he says when people read it, they're going to run. That's what he says, verse 2. The Lord answered me and said, write the vision, make it plain upon tablets that he may run that readeth it. Verse 4. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Hey, also because he transgresseth by wine. God begins to name sin. Verse 4, he talks about his pride. His, his soul is lifted up, but it's not upright inside of him. He's got this form of godliness, but he's denying the power thereof. He's a hypocrite because on the outside they look like they're, they're still maybe going to the temple and they're still maybe keeping some of the feasts, but in their hearts, they're a long way from God. The next verse, he says they're given over to wine. He says he's transgressed by the wine. He is proud man, neither keepeth it at home, who enlargeth his desire as hell and as his death and cannot be satisfied, but gathereth unto him all nations and heapeth unto him all people. He's tempting others with this same same wicked issue. On and on he goes, and I'm not going to read it all, but verse 6, Shall not all these take up a parable against him, and a taunting proverb against him, and say, Woe to him that increaseth that which is not his. He's a thief. He's increasing in that which is not his. And to him that ladeth himself with thick lay. And on and on, for the rest of the chapter, God lays out sin after sin after sin after sin of the people of Israel, and Habakkuk goes, Oh, that's right there in the Greek, by the way, or the Hebrew, if you look it up. Oh, I get it. See, Habakkuk went to God and said, God, when will you revive your people? We need, we need an outpouring of yours. We need God to do something. And God says, oh, I'm going to. I'm going to pour out judgment through the Chaldeans. And Habakkuk says, well, God, why would you do that? 
God, aren't you from everlasting? Why don't you just come deal with your people? Why don't you just breathe life again? And God says, there's so much sin there. Before you ever know revival, you have to be broken down. Your sin has to be cleansed and purged and made right. And so I have to do this thing. Now look what Habakkuk says in chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 2. O Lord, I have heard thy speech. Hey, when God speaks, you better listen. He says, I've heard thy speech. I heard what you're going to do in chapter 1, and I've heard what you're going to do in chapter 2. I've heard how much you hate sin. I've heard how much it destroys your people. I've heard over and over again, and now I'm starting to understand why you feel you must do what you must do. As a matter of fact, it scared him. He says, I've heard thy speech and was afraid, O Lord. But then he prays this, and it says it's a prayer in verse 1. Revive thy work. When Habakkuk prayed for revival in chapter 3, and we often hear that preached, don't we, God? Revive thy work in the midst of years. We need a pouring out of the Holy Spirit. When Habakkuk prayed, he was literally saying to God, okay, God, if that's what you got to do, go ahead and do it. That's the work of God. Revive thy work. There's some things we can understand from this. First of all, revival is always a work of God. Always a work of God. We cannot manufacture it. We can, we can manufacture hype. We can manufacture excitement. We can, I mean, you can manipulate people and fill these altars anytime you want. I'm thankful when people come on their own and when the Holy Spirit touches their heart and they move, wonderful. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful when people, you see them singing and they got a tear in their eye. When something special happens in their heart and life because the Holy Spirit's working, wonderful. But I've been in services too where the preacher can manipulate everybody down at the altar. We can manufacture certain things, but a genuine moving of God is a work of God. When he said, revive thy work, he was saying to him, God, I so desperately want Israel to be restored and to walk with you and to be spiritual and to go back to the feast and go back to uh, the house of God being a house of prayer and, and, and a place of worship. And I want to hear the singing in the streets and I want people to desire the word of God. And Habakkuk had a front row seat. He was a prophet. And people weren't listening to him. And he's, I, I so desperately want to preach again. And people listen to the word of God and are moved by the word of God. But if all this has to happen first, go ahead and revive thy work. Now I see you're doing a work in your people. I don't like it. I've told you how I feel about it. But God, you know best. It is a work of God. Let me ask you this. Are you able to pray the same way? Maybe you have a child that's away from the Lord. Are you able to go to God and say, God, would you revive your work in their life? Knowing what it might mean. You see, what we saw five years ago, what they saw when Monroe Parker was here, that was the climax of revival. 
God had already been working. God had already done some judgment. God had already done some purging. God had already broken some hearts. God had already humbled some people and brought them to a place where they were contrite of heart. God had already been doing something. That's why on nights like that and in places like that, you can still have some people sitting there and wondering what in the world's going on. Because their heart isn't broken yet. They're not in that place where they're responsive to the Spirit of God yet. But let me ask you, you got that child that's gone astray. You've got those other family. And by the way, think about this. Habakkuk, I, I know this. Do you know that everybody ever born in the world has a mother? I don't know if she was alive, but he had a mom and a dad. He likely had siblings. They, probably, they had big families back then. He likely had siblings. He probably had aunts and uncles, cousins. And so for him to pray God revive that work meant that mom and dad may lose their home. And that these horses that are more fierce than the evening wolves might descend upon his brother and his sister. We don't know, maybe he had children of his own that were grown and had families of their own. And for him to pray, God, revive thy work, is to say, God, go ahead and do whatever you have to do. I surrender completely because I want Israel to be right with God. Maybe you have a child. Maybe you have a sibling. Maybe you have a loved one. And you've prayed for revival in their hearts. Let me ask you this. Have you surrendered completely to what that means? That God may have to judge. Habakkuk prayed for a long, long time. The Bible says he cried unto God and he got to the point where, God, you don't hear me. It says that right in verse 1 of chapter 1. God, you haven't heard me. He was getting to the point of frustration and God finally said, Habakkuk, it's because you don't get it. You're asking for a spiritual renaissance. I'm saying I have to judge sin first. And when you surrender to that, oh boy, I'm going to do a work. It's going to be wonderful. And Habakkuk finally surrenders and says, revive thy work, Lord. Whatever that means, go ahead and do it. Maybe you've prayed for your God, revive me. I come to church and I see people excited and I hear people singing and I'm just kind of, I'm there. I go because I go with somebody else. I go because if I don't, people will notice. Have you surrendered completely to what God wants to do in your life? Do you understand what revival might mean? Yeah, we, we want to get to the end of it, don't we? We want to have those services where people are getting saved and people are getting right with brothers and sisters in Christ. And we want those services where the Spirit is so sweet and, and things are just overflowing in our hearts. We always want that and desire that. But do we want God to cleanse us first? Are we willing to surrender and pray, God, would you, would you make me a clean vessel that is, that is fit for the master's use? Habakkuk said, God, revive thy work. We pray for things that we think ought to happen, and God says, I, I got this under control. You may not like it, but I'm working all things together for good. But the key word is working. 
It'll take some time. Not because God is not able, but because we're a bunch of hard-headed, just are. We don't like change. Are you willing to surrender completely to what God wants? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment. We want Pentecost, but we don't want the persecution that follows it. We want the fire of God and the fruits of revival, and we want to see souls saved and believers reignited and a sweet spirit of communion and worship, but do we really want what God may have to do to get us there? We need to surrender and say, God, revive thy work. Not the work of man, not the work of self-help, not the work of anything that I am trying to accomplish in my life to better myself, but God, I need to just trust you to revive your work in my life. Why don't we stand to our feet this morning? If God has spoke to your heart, would you, would you mean business with God today? If you'd like to pray where you are, you may use this altar if you would like. I know there's been a couple times my wife and I have had to pray and it's difficult. God, get their attention, whatever that means. Have you ever prayed like that? You're asking God to revive his work. God, I, I, we just have to trust you, whatever that means, whatever you need to do to draw them back and get them walking with you again. Lord, I'm just gonna trust you. Let that be our prayer today, but it takes surrender. Surrender, surrender, surrender to the will and the work of God.